Claire Lopez, who was on my buddy Don the Pleb show. Everybody go check that out. I'll put the link in the description. Don's a badass. Claire's a badass. Last week, we and for everyone uh, who's wondering who Claire is, we've done a couple episodes now. You can go back and find them. Because as Don said, your resume is, is too impressive to state in less than five minutes. So, But we finished up last week, and there are two topics. We got on EMPs, but we also got on food shortages and using a bioweapon to depopulate the United States. And with both of those, you said, that's another podcast. Mm-hmm. And, well, now it's been a week, and now we're here. So I don't know what today's episode is. I'm putting the ball entirely in your court. Well, we, we could pick up where we left off. And, and where that was, I think we were talking about China, right? And uh, the Chinese Communist Party. And I think I referred to a, uh, a book called Unrestricted Warfare, uh, which was published in 1999 by two colonels in the People's Liberation Army of China, uh, who wrote it as their master's thesis, I guess, joint master's thesis. And then it was it was published by the PLA uh, and then translated into English, I don't know, some years later, but you can get it now online. It's available, um, Unrestricted Warfare. And there is a section in there um, that makes a list of, I don't know, a couple dozen or more areas of uh, warfare that the Chinese consider to be legitimate, you know, um, uh, areas for, for, for uh, fighting adversaries like, like us. And among them are things that you would expect, like conventional warfare, maybe nuclear warfare. Uh, there's something they call diplomatic warfare. There's uh, network warfare. And they also explicitly say biochemical warfare. It's written out. I mean, in black and white in there. And so uh, I think then last time I referred to a column written by my friend um, uh, Jeff Nyquist Mm -hmm. at his blog, with that name, Jeff Nyquist blog. Um, And it was written, that one, uh, that entry, that blog was written last fall. I'm thinking, if I remember right, it was about October of 2020. And in that uh, blog uh, piece, Jeff wrote about uh, a secret speech. Well, at one time it was secret of a very senior uh, Chinese Ministry of Defense official uh, since passed on. I think he died about 2005 or so. So the speech was prior to that. Not quite sure, but around 2002, 2003. Uh, His name was Xi Hao Xian. And in that speech, he very openly talked about depopulating um, the North American continent, the United States, using biological warfare. Um, and he very also explicitly talked about the need of the Chinese for Lebensraum. Now, oh, if, if some might remember that term, Living it's space. one that was used by Hitler, right, oh, before no. World War II, um, saying uh, or justifying you know, the, the, the uh, invasion by the Nazis of the Sudetenland in then Czechoslovakia and the rest of the invasions that followed, that Germans, um, w- w- if there was German population in some place, then the Nazis had the right to invade that place for Lebensraum, meaning living space uh, for Germans, right? Well, Xi Hao Xian, this, this Chinese minister, 
or I, I don't think he was a minister, but he was a senior official in the Ministry of Defense. He used that term. And um, the only positive you know, spin I could put on this even slightly is the fact that looking at demographic trends now, and I'm not sure if we touched on this or not, um, but relying on work uh, done, for example, by good friend uh, David Goldman, who writes under the pseudonym Spengler at AsiaTimes.com, Spengler, uh, after, you know, the, the, the German philosopher, Oswaldo Spengler, uh, AsiaTimes.com. But he's also sort of come out now, and, and we all know now that, that Spengler is David Goldman, but he writes on a number of topics, but um, China especially, and demographics um, in China. And um, he talks about how due to the one-child policy of years past, um, but also, um, you know, the, the abortion and the infanticide of, of female babies in China over a very long period of time, um, there are something like 30, I think I saw the number like 32 million. I mean, I don't know if that's the right number, but millions and millions of Chinese men who will never find wives or have children and, and families. So that population um, decline is going to happen in China, but how soon, nobody can be sure how long it'll take, decades probably through the rest of this century, the 21st century. Um, uh, but in the meantime, uh, before that happens, uh, there are all of these uh, wiveless men w with no prospects. Um, they call them bare branches in China, by the way, meaning they'll have no families. Um, but so even though the population is going to decline, uh, does, and, and this is a question mark, I mean, does the Chinese senior leadership, Xi Jinping and, and, and the Central Committee of the Chinese Communist Party, et cetera, do they, do they still hold to what was published by the PLA back in Restricted Warfare in 1999 uh, and the probably 2002 or three speech of Xi Haoxian, is that policy, question mark? I don't know, but it's ominous that, that it's out there in any case. Yeah, it's an interesting question to be poised. I mean, is it, you know, is this planned? Is China, um, you know, my, my buddy David O'Neill brought a, a good term that I hadn't heard of, but it's, I think it's called black box. And it's the idea that your enemy basically has it all together. It's kind of like a, it's like an extra, it's like a nation state extrapolation of the idea that everyone else has their life together. But you, you know, oh, you look at your okay, friends and okay. you're like, Oh, married kids lawn. But if you wouldn't talk to them, they're probably looking at you like, Oh, look at that guy. He's doing, and you're like, Oh, we're, we're all wandering directionless and terrified, but it's the idea that the enemy has it together. And so, you know, part of me looks at China's, you know, decreasing growth rate and it's like, oh, that's part of the CCP master plan 2049. But another part of me is like, it, it seems like that's part of their power is having what 1.3, 1.4 billion people. It seems that, you know, what they lack perhaps in technology or advancement, they can sort of just, you know, they can McDonald's it, they can supersize it. They just have every person they have, for every person we have, they have five. It may, yeah, well, it makes China, you wonder. China yeah. has long had a large population with with relationship to either neighboring countries 
or even the rest of the world. And yeah, now up to something like 1.4 billion. I don't know to what extent um, they foresaw the abrupt decline in population that's going to happen later this century when they instituted the one-child policy. I mean, of course, that's what they wanted to do to, to, to you know, curb uh, their, their, what they would think of as runaway population growth. Um, but at the same time that they did that, um, they also were expanding uh, in a lot of other ways, meaning technology, meaning, um, you know, the ability to, to provide for, including jobs and housing and everything else, provide for the population that it does have. And I think, you know, we've talked on here before about how in one generation, you know, that, that grandparent today grew up in a hut with a with a with a dirt floor and no no uh, heating or indoor plumbing um, you know and and subject to to the whims of the weather for whether the crops would come through that year and in that one person's lifetime uh, you know they now live in some gleaming high rise in a modern city that's you know maybe ten or twenty years old maximum um, with of course central heating central air conditioning probably wi-fi throughout the building and you know obviously electricity and plumbing right um so uh they were doing two things at once they were uh curbing the population growth at the same time as they were expanding i mean by very brutal means but leaps and bounds you know in in, in their development now did they foresee such an abrupt decline in the population i don't know Maybe they had, maybe they did. Um, I don't know, uh, but in any case, for the time being, you know, they still have all of these, um, you know, wiveless young men um, with with no prospects uh, of family life. In any case, so uh, that that is our, you know, that's in front of us right now. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think the the yeah, the whole the unrestricted warfare, the use of biochemical warfare and leaving Strom, can't ever say that right, living space. Um, are we going to see that in our life? Now, is that necessarily because as you touched on last time, you know, you, you can't affect it. It's I believe it's what Truman said. It's like the hydrogen bomb has a built in policy of extermination. It's not, you know, you drop an A-bomb on Hiroshima. A lot of people think A-bombs and H-bombs are the same. You know, an A-bomb you drop on Hiroshima, you wipe it out. A hydrogen bomb you drop on Hiroshima and you kind of make all of Japan um, unoccupiable. That being said, unless you're going for a genocidal agenda, you don't, nuclear weapons aren't the way to go because you irradiate the land, you destroy every structure. Mm-hmm. There's really nothing to go to go settle versus if you want to go take everything. You know, it's not like a... As a corporation, you want to do a hostile takeover. You don't want to. You don't want to nuke the other yeah. place. They've got a lot of goods. So, right. what we or what you touched on last time was, and that's why you would use something like biochemical warfare. It's the same reason you don't take a flamethrower to your house when you have ants. You just fumigate it. Mm-hmm. Now, are we going to see that? Let's, this is obviously all hypothetical, but could we see just if we have all of these 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 bare branch men, and we have in unrestricted warfare? 
and then we touched on you can't use irradiation. Do you think we could see China expand to India or to any surrounding areas and find spouses well, for their people and expand I mean, their land? It's all speculation. You know, the, 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 the lands, the countries on around China's periphery, uh, certainly to the south, including India, are themselves pretty well populated yeah. places. India's right? number two, yeah. Um, now, the one place that is not thickly populated would be to the north, and that's Siberia, mm-hmm. which has tons of resources, mm-hmm. minerals, uh, lots of oil, um, in, in, and other things, timber, fur. Um, now, would China be inclined to expand their very inhospitable climate? As a matter of fact, that's that's what I wrote my master's thesis on. Um, really? You know, the economic possibilities or development of Siberia. Well, I was writing it from a Russian uh, perspective, but if the Chinese are looking that at that, and of course, you know, the Russian population itself is declining. It's in a demographic death spiral, pretty much, uh, despite the best efforts of uh, uh, Putin, Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, to incentivize families and children and, and so forth. Um, they're just not doing it. Um, and, and in any case, um, the population that Russia does have is, is, is mostly concentrated west of the Urals and not out in the frozen tundra of Siberia. So is that a place that China would consider expanding into? Perhaps for exploitation, but I don't see necessarily... Um, you know, a population shift to to Siberia just because it is so inhospitable in, in terms of climate, but not to the south, no, because the, those places, you know, India, as you say, number two in population um, in the world, and uh, then you come around to, you know, all of the other Southeast Asian countries, Malaysia, Indonesia, and Thailand, and Burma, and Cambodia, and so forth, and uh, and and they too. Um, are are pretty well populated, um, fertile. Um, well, fertile as long as China doesn't dam up all the rivers yeah. like the Mekong and and others. But um, fertile agriculturally, good climates for growing things in those places. But but very populated. So, I mean, aside from the takeover of Hong Kong, which is pretty much a fait accompli now. And uh, continuing aggressive moves towards Taiwan, uh, there aren't places, you know, readily available for Chinese population to to move to. Uh, but you know, the question remains: you know, are they still looking at the North American continent? Now, there was another defector uh, from the Soviet Union back in the day, uh, and this was Stanislav Lunov. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Stanislav Lunev, um, in a way, also like Anatoly Golitsyn, um, talked about uh, the uh, the alliance, the alliance between Soviet Union, Russia, and China, and that they together uh, were planning uh, this takedown of the United States um, and and expansion into our lands, and that would include Canada, North America. Canada, U.S., uh, not Mexico. Um, and, and both of those defectors from the Soviet Union talked about that. 
you know, is that still the plan? Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot, yeah, a lot, a lot of threads to touch on right there. I was going to say, first of all, I couldn't help but smile. And it's like, is China going to go into Siberia? And it's like, are we going to see a hat trick of nations trying to go into Russia? And then the inevitable winter comes? Is the is the meme going to keep reproducing itself? Napoleon, Operation Barbarossa, are we going to see it a third time? But Well, or they just go into Siberia to expropriate the natural resources, sure. not not to grab living space per se. I mean, unless you know, some kind of entirely, you know, new technology makes life there more hospitable. But, but you know, a, a, a natural resource grab, sure, I could see that easy. Well, I mean, mini nuclear reactor, I mean, that's enough to, you can run anything for a while. You just go get little outposts. Not that I know anything about that. But with India, you're right, the number two population. But we did see India Chinese or Indian Chinese clashes in 2020 mm-hmm. did we not yeah yeah a number of them uh, some you know very primitive by the way oddly not fought with modern day weapons uh, rifles or RPGs or, or mortars or anything like that but with 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 clubs wait, and rocks wait, really? I mean absolutely primitive fighting up um, along the India China border in um, in the Himalayas up in the mountains um, and the Indians, uh, you know, they, they defended themselves. Uh, they acquitted themselves very well. I didn't know. It was, um, I didn't know. They're not, they're not, they're not going to be, you know, pushed around. Do you see? Okay. I didn't know that. I had no idea. That's, that's, that's unique. Um, one thing that's kind of been on my mind. So we have, we have Hong Kong, we have, uh, we have Taiwan, we have the South China sea. Um, do you see, was it, the uh, my buddy David O'Neill keeps bringing up Thucydides' trap. Are we are we destined for war with China? And and furthermore, with China having thirty percent of the world's rare earth metals, but ninety percent of the world's trade with and those are utilized in well, electronics. Are they the new Middle East of resources we need? Not uh, to the Thucydides' trap. Not necessarily. Um, that, by the way, for your 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 viewers, posits that um, in a um, a competition between a rising power and an established power. Um, it's almost, uh, if not inevitable, that there will be warfare. Um, and uh, I, I don't necessarily see that as, as the uh, inescapable outcome. Um, I think that deterrence in this age um, would go a long way, not that the current occupants of our White House are thinking in this direction, uh, but they should be, and certainly the Trump administration thought this way. Um, deterrence and a strong, um, you know, a strong foreign policy uh, that very clearly lays out red lines. Um, this administration not really doing that so much. But get back to the rare earth minerals. Mm-hmm. Um, the United States actually has quite a lot of rare earth minerals. We just haven't mined them. And the other thing then is that there's a long and arduous process of refinement for uh, the way that they're found in the earth. They they need to go through a very expensive and and, and kind of tedious process um, of refinement, but but we could do it. We, We have a lot of rare earth minerals in the United States. So, yeah. Okay. I didn't know. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So, 
now is china is it a paper tiger is this is the is the whole idea of biochemical warfare unrestricted warfare the the warring states period the hundred year marathon everything they want to do by 2049 is this a paper tiger no not at all okay not at all um china is very definitely visibly observably um putting its its uh, money its um its development um its technology where uh, its mouth is if you will mm-hmm. um they are expanding their military especially their navy um at a furious pace and that includes all kinds of surface vessels it also includes submarines and it also includes uh aircraft carriers mm-hmm. um not to mention uh the technological expansion into space with satellites and satellite killers mm-hmm. um and then also uh in in the um the cyber arena certainly with 5g i mean everywhere you look china is investing massive amounts of money uh into all these modern technologies whether it be for civilian or military use that is something that again back to my friend uh david goldman he warns over and over again if we here in the united states don't stop turning out gender studies and underwater basket weaving majors <laughs> we are going to fall behind and we will never be able to catch up now what have the chinese done over the past year just take the last year of 2020 Pro-masculine they are waging chemical warfare yeah. biological warfare against us biological obviously um with the ccp virus mm-hmm. um whether it got out by accident or on purpose let that be but they in they they certainly allowed it and and ensured that it spread to the whole world once it did get out chemical warfare um the fentanyl mm-hmm. um yeah i, uh, I had on the author know, of fentanyl inc ben westoff so you know that is chemical warfare yeah it's going through and using the mexican drug cartels to bring that product into the united states um but that is chemical warfare yeah so you know they're they're very very much um engaged in i mean if i went down the list of 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 those areas spheres of warfare in unrestricted warfare um they're hitting on just about every one of them right now yeah and it's and there's you know there's always the misconception if you respect your enemy it's it's the idea that you're sympathetic to them and i don't think that's the case at all you have to respect their their complete mm-hmm. across the board I, I said that last year i said if you couldn't take this is before covid came out i was saying if you can't take on the united states with tanks and bombers and you know you take it on economically if that's not doing it what would you mm-hmm. do you would you'd flood the country with a highly addictive super cheap super small dose highly uh, lethal substance like fentanyl i mean we see it with the opium wars why wouldn't you do that flood the border with opium flood it with covid and it happens as soon as trump goes with a tariff war against them or a trade war against them and it's also ironically with covid is the same time everything about every, all the cameras turned off not i mean metaphorically they all turned off in hong kong it's an overarching it's an entire it's an it's an anaconda wrapping around the world and it is it is tightening more and more and more and to one thing i've been thinking of a lot is reading about the um the china programs that i don't know if they're recent or if we're just hearing about them recently but they've come into my consciousness in the last week or two is their um their their massive program to start uh 
increasing masculinity in boys, whether through oh. chemicals or whether just through, I mean, again, something I completely respect. It's like if you go back and look at black and white films from like the 50s, it's like boys at P.E. and they're learning like hand to hand combat. They're learning how to scale and they're shooting like at school. And it's and now it's, um, you know, at, for instance, Planet Fitness, Planet Fitness, their videos online. If you grunt, a, a, a chirping alarm goes off like a fire alarm. And it's it's to it's to bring awareness to everyone in the gym that there's someone showing toxic masculinity. Good grief! <sighs> you know, doing I bench mean, press. This is not a recipe for success. I don't think it's. A, I don't think it's. Maybe it's a conspiratorial mind. But I'm starting to think if we're looking at something like fentanyl, for looking at something like COVID, I don't think this is an accident. I think what better way to do it? Infiltrate the country and be like, hey guys, being a man is bad. And then at the same time, in your country, be like, guys, get going. It, to me, I'm starting to think that this is part of a. Chi- I mean, maybe I'm just sure. uh, cr- crazy. Maybe I'm just seeing the Chinese tiger everywhere. No, and no, I, I no. It comes together. It, it, it does, it, right? It is part of the whole. It is part of the entire whole um, strategy. Yeah. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. But we're doing a lot to ourselves yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which is horribly destructive, and you know, I didn't even mention um, uh, as as part of the CCP virus last year, the enormously destructive measures that we took, we, our communist mayors and governors took here in the United States to lock everything down and keep kids out of school. So millions and millions of American students from, I don't know, preschool all the way to university have essentially lost at least a full year of instruction. Now, not all of them, you know, uh, a number of private schools uh, opened, remain open now. But they're a minority and and serve a minority of students in the country. But the majority of students in this country have literally lost a year. Mm-hmm. How do you ever make that up? Yeah, and well, I don't know. I don't know if they can make it up well, that- um, or if they're even going to try to make it up. And, and teachers unions, I mean, communist Marxists to the core, they could care less about kids. But at least our eyes are open now as to what what teachers in this country are really about yeah uh not about the kids yeah um you know still to this to this date which is march 18 2021 um won't go back to teach Mm -hmm. don't want to go back to teach they want to keep you know receiving their paychecks of course Mm -hmm. but they don't want to teach they want to just sit home and and you know maybe once in a while hop on a computer but but they don't want to teach. They should all be fired. You go back to the classroom immediately, or you're fired. Yeah. There are others who will take their places yeah. for sure. Well, we're we're also seeing yeah, again unrestricted warfare. What other way would you do it? But not only that, is I in I could be fake news. I need to fact check this. But that Chinese economy was is set to overtake the United States by 2035. But after COVID, it's now the projections say 2028. I don't think that's an accident. Not, not sure. I'm not sure okay. that, that the Chinese economic recovery um, is is as their numbers would suggest. Their numbers, of course, always being uh, suspect, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, they also had uh, a sharp economic turndown. Um, and the, the sanctions from uh, the Trump presidency uh, had an effect and, and continue to have an effect. And one thing that, that's underway that, that began then, but continues now of its own, um, momentum. 
is the 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 uh, return um, uh, of U.S. companies, and I, I suspect others around the world, to their home countries or relocated to other places, because everyone has realized uh, that that sourcing your your product uh, supply chain to China um, is is not a very good idea. Yeah. Uh, at least if you don't have backup in other places. So that also has had an economic effect inside of China in terms of you know, orders and production and, and all of that. Um, so, yeah, not quite sure about the, the, the Chinese economy right now, but um, I, I'm not sure that they're on track either. Okay. But, but you know, we're, we're not either. Okay, okay. No, that's good because I, 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 I do – I have to be self-aware because I can get riled up and be like, the Chinese are at the – and it's like, no, hey, let's look at – because again, a little side note: I can't make fun of my my liberal friends for four years screaming Trump is a Russian Manchurian candidate, and then on the and then the next day be like China's at the door. Like I have to be aware. Be like that might not be true. Don't don't bang the drums just yet. But yeah, the numbers are just difficult. I mean, good solid numbers are just kind of sure. difficult to come by. And I'm not an econ finance expert, um, so uh, more 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 uh, you know research to be done on that. Sure. So, excuse me. Now, is is so listening to um, listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson's accessory to war, and talking it really the whole thing. It, it's it's the marriage between the scientific community and the defense industry, which isn't groundbreaking information. Everyone knows that, but he goes back and he paints this whole picture all the way back to like um, all the way back how like when explorers would go to the new world, they would use their advanced knowledge of like astronomy. They knew when like a lunar eclipse was coming, so they'd go to the peoples and be like, "In three days, my God will blot out the sun or something." And you know, if that happens, you know, hand over your women and gold, and then it would happen. But the entire idea was it was using advanced science to subjugate, uh, I guess, new peoples. And then he, the book eventually evolves into um, uh, the use of physicists to to develop things like GPS and uh, satellite technology, and it's the marriage between all of that. And he finally paints this picture of how space, it truly is, it's that is the, we look at things on the earth, but the reality is, is space is is the fastest growing field for economic and military advantages. <clears throat> and then we see on another side note, we see the development of the Space Force, which, you know, 1945, and then up until 1947, it was the, we didn't have an Air Force. We had the U.S. Army Air Forces. We had, they, just like they had ground forces, they had Air Forces. It got so big, and then eventually seeing the need, because all the massive bombing waves and late in, over Germany, Dresden, and then obviously into the Pacific, we saw the need for a massive air wing, split it apart into the Air Force, Curtis LeMay, mm -hmm. shout out, love Curtis LeMay. And then they eventually take over, right, uh, Cyber Command, and then I think um, Space Command. And it's been, what, so 47 to 20, let's call it roughly 70 Last years. Last year. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, 70. Last year, wasn't it? Yeah, so 70 three years eventually it, it breaks up to a, another level to where it's kind of we had the u.s we had the air force space forces we create the space force say all of that word jumble to say is that a frontier where the united states could get the high ground and i know we talked about china going up into space obviously they have the killer satellites i believe 2007 they blew up one of their own satellites with an anti-sat missile is that an area that if we get dominance of 
does that greatly put it? And it's kind of a stupid question. It's kind of a, a, a no shit answer. But is that an area that if we pursue aggressively, the returns could be disproportional? We could completely yeah. hedge the Chinese growth. Absolutely. I mean, they're not going to stand still just no. because we surge. Sure. Right. Um, they will be doing that, too. Um, but but absolutely. I mean, what President Trump did last year, 2020, with the uh, the establishment of the Space Command yeah. um, was was incredibly important. Um, and uh, obviously they will grow and expand now. Uh, but that is the new frontier. And, and everything that happens, you know, here on Earth can and will in some way um, be subject to or, or dependent on what goes on in space. And dominance of, of space um, will be incredibly important for the defense of the United States. Yes. FYI, when I pull my phone out, I'm, I'm making a note. I'm not. I'm not texting. I, I don't want anything to be being disrespectful. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I hate. I hate. Every once in a while, I have a guest on, and I can see him looking off screen at their phone, and I'm like, dude, don't waste my time. But yeah, it seems like that's. It seems like that's the overarching ground where if if we can if we can expand into that. And again, this is in my incredibly limited 30-year-old biology degree mind. I don't have, you know, I'm not a military tactician. But it seems like that is the ultimate high ground that mm-hmm. perhaps, and it's when I say this, I say it very relatively and generally, it seems like the rest of China's moves may not be as dangerous if we can take that new, Russia's massive tank columns after World War II weren't as big as a threat as they were prior to July 16th, 1945, because now we had tactical A-bombs. It all of a sudden it offsets it until, of course, mm-hmm. forty nine Russia develops Joe one, and next thing we know, we're right back at it. It seems like if we can get a viable hand in space or a definitive edge, perhaps not. To, it's not 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 to scoff at COVID or fentanyl or economic warfare or the Belt and Road Initiative or their Liebenstrom maybe going to Siberia, South China Sea, their fake islands, their massive navy. They're I think they're on track to have more nuclear submarines than us. If we can get a, a definitive edge in space, it might have that same effect. And now the question comes in, do we or have we already, and I don't know if you can speak on this, and not that you would, I don't know how you would, are we going to eventually build space weapons if we have not already? There's obviously the whole treaty is about no one's allowed to do that, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, but when vying for global control and the survival <laughs> of a nation, you tend to throw those rules out the window, just like the Soviet Union did with bioweapons treaties after the wall fell. A bunch of biologists from Russia came over and joined DARPA, and they said, oh, yeah, no. I just read last night something about some uh, biologists coming over from the Soviet Union. They were they were mixing Ebola with influenza. Kenyatin Alibekov, who wrote the book Biohazard, yeah, okay. shortened his name mercifully to Ken Alibek. Oh, I've tried to get him on here. His, his original name is Kenyatin Alibiakov. He was from Kazakhstan. I've been trying to get him on here. He won't respond. But um, <laughs> I don't know if he's active in the field anymore. Um, but certainly when, when he came out with that book, well, he defected. He defected, mm-hmm. first of all, uh, from, the, the, from Russia uh, in uh, 1992, I think. Uh, which is after the breakup of the Soviet Union, um, when they 
were supposed to have given up all their biological weapons and programs. But before him, um, a uh, another um, defector had come out by the name of Pesechnik. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they both came out of this sprawling um, network of labs and research facilities in the Soviet Union, Russia, uh, called Biopreparat. Mm-hmm. And Biopreparat was their civilian cover uh, for what was absolutely an offensive, militarized biological weapons program. I see China pretty much doing the same thing, following the same strategy, the same blueprint today. Uh, and the Soviet, uh, Russia probably still has uh, much of that program in place. But after, of course, Pesechnik and uh, Ken came out, <clears throat> um, the Soviet Union, Russia, move to to uh, conceal even more so conceal that program um, just as China today conceals its uh, biological weapons program which is centered by the way uh, within the Ministry of Defense in, in PLA controlled labs but anyway um, yeah that that uh, that that goes back a ways yeah I tend to think that that nothing truly is off the table. And part of my mind, again, I always try to keep it open and explore everything, is that the United States, we just didn't, we never, and this is all speculation, but in my mind, I don't think it's that odd to think that we've probably been practicing unrestricted warfare. Maybe we're just smart enough to not publish the paper that says we're doing as such. Because, I mean... Well, no. I mean, we we are signatories to the Biological Weapons Convention of the early 1970s and to the Chemical Weapons, uh, let's see, how does that go? The Chemical Weapons Convention, it's got a much longer name. Um, And and, I mean, I know that we destroyed Mm -hmm. our uh, chemical and biological weapons production and and, and, uh, facilities and and weapons. And I I witnessed that. I saw that with my own eyes. Really? Um, Yes, I visited places where they were doing that destruction of, you know, the shells. Yeah, breaking the shells open, emptying them out, destroying it. Yeah. Well, there's. Um, some, there's some, we there's did. We five, complied yeah. with that. Okay. Uh, there are many places around the world that remain signatories to the Biological Weapons Convention, the Chemical Weapons Convention, that have uh, observed them more in the breach than not. I'll name the Damascus regime of, of Bashar al-Assad mm-hmm. for one. Um, obviously places like Iran um, and China, Mm -hmm. uh, which are all signatories to these. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, observe more in the breach than than not. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're talking about space now, um, you know, we here in the United States um, have have tried uh, to promote the non-militarization of space, but that's you know that's not realistic. It's it's just not going to happen. Uh, but our first uh, um, programs for space um, really came under President Ronald Reagan, right, with a strategic defense initiative, emphasis on the defense part of that, brilliant pebbles mm-hmm. and all of those programs uh, that were ridiculed at the time. But Ronald Reagan was ahead of his time in thinking about this. And those programs need to be revived like ASAP. Um, Certainly the defensive part of those and and the high ground, as you call it, in in, in space is absolutely critical to defensive um, postures here on Earth, uh, meaning the ability, for example, to see um, 
launches, mm -hmm. you know, of, of missiles, mm -hmm. nuclear weapons, potentially. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and that's what, what space would, would, would provide, um, as well as, you know, the myriad uh, satellites that are now up there um, giving us, you know, look down capability from GPS to everything else, uh, wartime, war fighter capability of communicating over the horizon and that sort of thing. So, I mean, for now, um, we, as far as I know, <laughs> are adhering to defensive use of space, but others most likely are not. But here's the other thing, because of the emphasis that we've put on um, space exploration, uh, for example, you know, we, we've got um, rovers uh, crawling across the landscape of Mars right now. I had and, on, and beaming back photos, which are amazing. I had on the head um, of NASA's JPL. Yeah, just incredible. So um, because of the innovative um, capabilities of the United States and, and the encouragement of innovation, which is not the same thing as a centralized government authority, um, you know, program handed down to your military. You will go to this and this and this mm -hmm. and don't you dare deviate. That's a whole other mindset where I think our um, our philosophy, our our our, our uh, um, the, the the way that we we encourage innovation and out of the box thinking. I think that still gives us here in the United States an edge uh, over regimes like China's. I, and I always, I always do. I mean, it's I, I understand that I, I'm, a, I'm an archetype, not an archetype. I'm a, I'm a trope, a caricature of, of the conservative, and I'm always bad. Socialism, communism. Hey, I get that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm aware of it. I mean, I, I know. But like, I also look at it from like a, a tactical standpoint. Or I, I look at it from, you know, my education as a finally I can use it. My biology degree, I got in a medical and pharmacy school. I'd like to think I have a head on my shoulders. Natural selection and, and genetic evolution. I mean, it is not a top down thing. It is a completely chaotic ground up thing. I mean, down to the most famous studies, obviously, are the Galapagos Islands. But then the more recent, like last 40 years book, Beak, and, Beak of the Finch, Beak and the Finch, where they go in and they kind of measure evolution evolution in real time where they go in and they see i mean like one thirty seconds of an inch uh thicker beak it completely yeah. changes the ch and so you see these tiny little edges right i mean something as small as like a. but it's over time it's yes. over millennia that yes, these but, things prove their advantage yes but but at the core it's still what it is is it's a tiny little thing i mean it's mm -hmm. the, it's the click wheel on the ipod versus something else right it's the touch screen versus it's these little things and i i truly think at a at the core that is the difference and as much as i love the united states and we just so happen to be the the center of it is it's i don't even think it's a united states thing i think it's the very notion of a free society where well, you it's a western civilization yes. thing yes but i think that's uh, our biggest yeah. i think that's our biggest weapon is our ability to compete against each other and if you get the better one you can buy the lamborghini in the pool in the backyard but that is ultimately what leads to bigger and better things people defect to the i mean if you really want to i used the analogy the other day with my friend when there were like parties in college, I remember when I was looking at all the fraternities when I was a dumb freshman, I mean, there was the coolest one. And as long as there's a cooler one, 
people will defect from other places. But that leads to things like rovers on Mars or Brilliant Pebbles, SDI, X-rays in space, Edward Teller, all that great stuff. I think that's our greatest weapon. And I think that's what ultimately what will, I mean, as long as there is a place, as long as there is a place for the drain to empty, there will be a brain drain. You know, we have what? What's our one notorious defector from the United States to the Soviet Union? Lee Harvey Oswald, right? Maybe, you know, not not our best player versus every defector from from uh, West East Berlin to West Berlin or from the Soviet Union to us or even I would say probably less known the CCP to us. But it seems like that is our greatest asset. Back to SDI. I love SDI and I love Reagan's enthusiasm for it. And I love how that's at the, the Reykjavik con, uh, con, uh, meeting with, I think it was Gorbachev, where yes. they, they got really close to doing no nuclear weapons. They were kind of, if you actually read the transcript, it actually kind of sounds like something out of like a movie. They're like, why don't we just do no nuclear weapons? And we could do it. We could do it right now. And, he, and finally, Gorbachev is like, yes, and, and, and no SDI. And Reagan's like, no, we want SDI. But yeah yeah but the way he explains it i love his explanation of it and i think it's in in dead hand uh the author goes into it but reagan uses it as a as a gas mask he calls it like the nuclear gas mask and he's like if we can develop a nuclear gas mask it won't matter there will be no purpose to building nuclear weapons Mm -hmm. and then we Mm -hmm. can share that technology with everyone i agree with you i think he was light years ahead and i i hope it comes back i hope it's been back for a while sorry i know i just went on a on a no, no, no! You make good points, <laughs> and, I, and I agree. Um, but are you, are you can I can I keep you for another twelve minutes? Is that okay? Okay, let's okay. do it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. I'm 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 weird. I like to go on exact on moments. Um, but with SDSO, I think back to that right. It's and we did destroy chemical weapons. Annie Jacobson talks about that a lot in her book Operation Paperclip. And obviously, lesser known, we brought back scientists from Unit 731 in Japan, all of their chemical guys, whereas the Germans were the rocket scientists, but also chemical. Point is, with the X-37B, the thing that looks like a mini space shuttle that I believe we launched in the late 2000s, and it's gone on consecutive, uh, I guess, sorties for longer and longer flights, breaking records. I think it's I think its best one to date was something like six or seven hundred days in orbit. And it can change orbits, and it is rumored to have the ability to tamper with satellites and go up there and, I would imagine, open up and sort of surgically mess with them. Is that Was that the beginning of the Space Force, and have we weaponized space? If we can go up and kind of act as surgeons on satellites, man, we could also go up and deploy kinetic warheads or, you know... I mean, unfortunately, that's inevitably where things will go simply because that's what America's adversaries are doing. Mm -hmm. China, uh, Russia will. But I'll tell you what um, really catches my attention and and, um, I don't know, really uh, is encouraging um, and and a testament to the American spirit. And that's a guy like Elon Musk, right? Totally a private, uh, you know, enterprise kind of a guy. He's not the U.S. government, but look what he's doing. He 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 is developing, um, you know, a space capability, launch capability, certainly, um, to put satellites into orbit, um, and 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 he's doing it on private initiative, private funding, um, and private brilliance. Yeah, you know, to put it simply. Yeah. 
That's the United States. Can you imagine anything like that ever happening in a, a, a communist no. party of China, China? No. No, of no. course not. No, not at all. I mean, the only reason the Soviet Union was able to build the, the Buran and the Energia was because we put all of the plans for the space shuttle out in public. They, they didn't have to do the research. They could look at it. But even now, you can see – so we don't even have to say, can you imagine a China doing that? You can bring it back into the United States and, and uh, look, at, look at the bifurcation. We have NASA SLS, right, the Space Launch System, mm-hmm. which is years behind budget and billions of dollars uh, over – Over budget. Oh, sorry, right over behind, budget, years behind schedule. Excuse schedule, me. Yeah. over budget. Yeah, brain yeah. fart. And then we look at we look at Elon landing rockets, and bringing down the the pound per kilogram or the the dollar per kilogram uh, mm-hmm. cost down with Starlink, right? That's like that's going to become if it's not already a decentralized internet around the world. Amazing. If that you can yeah. just look at what private does with that, but not only that. So you could then say, well, I know, I know, because he's talked about it. Elon Musk is in bed with the NRO and with other and national geospatial agencies because he can put things up for cheaper and, che- and clearly and he can put up a ring of however many thousands of satellites. I think that then this is my conspiratorial mind. I don't think the Space Force was necessarily created so much as declassified in the last couple of years. And again, that's my tinfoil hat theory. But I think it's absolutely the case where I don't think SDI went away or it did. And we brought it back because you have to have it. And it's back to what Truman said. Truman's seven minute meeting about uh, uh, Project Campbell. Campbell's in Campbell soup. Soup meant super. Super meant the H-bomb. Seven minute meeting when he went in there with the scientists and he said, when will the Soviets be able to do it? And will they be able to do it? And they said, we think within three to four years. And he said, all right, we'll get to it. All the other scientists, Fermi, they called the H-bomb an evil thing. But Truman's logic was, he didn't think it was any less evil. But if they can do it, we're going to be shit out of luck if they do it and we don't. So we have to, right? The world can only, you can only be as good as the world lets you to be. I think that's the case with space warfare. I think that's what the X-37B is. I think that's what the Space Force is. I, I would imagine there's some sort of, you know, marriage with Elon Musk. I think that we probably have a functional SDI to an extent because if we don't do that, someone else is and it's going to be China. I know I'm going way off into the weeds now, but No, no, I think I think you're right. And 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 I'm very glad to see the establishment of the Space Command last year. Um I'm sure it was in development or, you know, on its way for a long time before that. That was the formalization of of its establishment. Um but uh, that will that will carry us um, through this century and into the next. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have uh, for the for two future podcasts. I would like to talk to you about uh, your thesis. I think that would be a uh, badass episode. A long time ago. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't, you can pull some facts out. I don't care. Um, but also, would you be able to do an episode on SDI? Because I am I am obsessed with it, but I can't find like a good book on it, and so I'm just scattered. Um, I'll I'll do my best. It's not my my area of expertise, but I'll point you in in the direction of uh, Ambassador Hank Cooper. Ambassador Hank Cooper actually worked on SDI in the Reagan years. Okay, and um, 
he is still involved very much um, in in these in these uh, topics, together with people like uh, you know Dr. Peter Vincent Pry, and linking us into things uh, you know EMP, nuclear, and cyber related. But Doc, uh, or, or Ambassador Hank Cooper, um, I think would be a good place to look. Um, just because you know he he was he was right in the middle of all that. Mm-hmm. A brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, today, his focus has moved more to defense against EMP phenomena. But um, still, I would I would look him up if if you want to learn, you know, or see more about SDI, where it was then in the Reagan years, where it can go now, what we can look forward to. Okay, and uh, yeah, I've tried to get on uh, Lieutenant General. James Abramson, who who was the head of SDI, I think he's like ninety now. But apparently, he still acts. He still works on a, I think a, on a, I think he's on a board of directors for like a defense contractor. I've been trying to get in touch with him for a year, but I can't get in mm. touch with him. But all the videos I watch on him, it's and it's him. You know, it's like sixty minutes, but it's in like the eighties and nineties. He's the guy. He's the guy talking about brilliant pebbles and projectiles and garages of missiles and directed energy weapons and everything, hitting a bullet with a bullet. I can't for the life. Well, Ambassador Cooper <laughs> is a little bit younger than that. Awesome. Um, but but also still very active. Yeah. Well, you know, you 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 get some, you don't get others. I've I got a I got a formal rejection from the office of Jim Mattis, George Bush, Leon Panetta, Henry Kissinger. They've all they've all kind of given me the finger, but um, oh. I'll keep. Oh no, right? I know, boohoo. So I'm going to keep trying. But um, well, let's wrap this one up, Miss Lopez. Thank you so much for coming on. I love talking to you. It's uh, uh, thanks get, for having me again. No, you are a truly fantastic guest. Um, Trust me. I mean, I I don't I don't do favors for anyone. I don't bring people back on. Oh, I'm not feeling bad. Trust me. You've got into the weekly slot. That's like the upper echelons. Not that this podcast is anything to shake a stick at, but okay. you, you're you're in the pantheon of guests now. So wow, yeah. wow, I'm there. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's I know this is the big leagues, right? I know Joe Rogan yeah. looks up to me, right? Here I've got I am. A, I've got a whopping three thousand subscribers, but um, and growing, and right? growing, and growing, growing. Hey, I'm okay. I'm training against YouTube censorship. You know what? It's kind of like when NBA players train with weighted vests, so when they take it off during the train during the off season with them so during the season they can you know it's jump higher kind of run faster without the my logic is is i'm training with a weighted vest i'm training against suppression hiding views hiding search results so whenever i finally break free of uh, the sort of youtube thumb i imagine i'm gonna just i'm gonna explode or maybe that or maybe that's my own delusions either or no no look 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 ahead (sighs) Yes, Here ma'am. we go. Yes, ma'am. Either way. Anyway, thank you. Thank you Always so much. Always good to be with you. Absolutely. And I'll look forward to next week. Yes. Thank you so much. Take okay. care. Okay. All right. Take care of you too. All right. All right. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.